we had this thread going the other day about what happens when you're attacked by a nation state or suffer a catastrophic outage due to that. You know, so so when uh, insurance companies that cover flood or, or or earthquakes, you know, there's a certain point if the event is bad enough, they're in a way kind of rooting for the federal government to declare a disaster because what happens? Then FEMA covers certain things. There isn't a cyber FEMA. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who do we have joining us for this episode? Rob, our guest today is Dan Bowden, the Global CISO for Marsh the world's leading insurance broker and risk advisor. Dan has three decades of experience and leadership deploying robust business enabling cybersecurity solutions. And prior to Marsh, Dan served as a CISO for Sentara Healthcare, as well as the University of Utah Healthcare System. He's also worked as a security leader at Zion Management Systems, a regional banking system as well. Um, it's great to have you with us today, Dan. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share on your background with our listeners? Uh, no, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Stan. Thanks for the the intro. I uh, the the thirty years, three decades makes me <laughs> shudder a little bit. But uh, I also point out, I pointed out to someone the other day, I'm so old I can remember holding an encryption key in my fingers. So uh, that's back in the 1900s, right? So a uh, long time <laughs> ago, back. but uh, yeah. I'm. I guess it's time to just embrace it, right? So yeah, I had I had a similar experience. I was teaching at a conference last week. And I, I mentioned, you know, that I got started in 84 at the National Security Agency. And I was, you know, do, using the orange book. Anybody know what the orange book was? And one person raised their hand out of 150 people. I was like, wow, I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly. anyway, uh, Dan, you know, as, as you were well aware, Marsh is one of those um, companies that's sort of like the behemoth in cybersecurity insurance. That's one of the largest firms that offers cyber and security insurance. And obviously, as the global CISO, you have responsibilities for the enterprise side of the house. Do you get involved with the insurance side of the business? And, and if so, how, how extensively? You know, it's interesting. We are probably a vendor for everyone. So, or it seems like it. And, um, so we do a lot of support for our client account teams in uh, in a lot of ways. You know, they uh, they get asked um, to to vet be vet, be vetted as a vendor. So we assist with that. Um, we also assist with um, opportunities. Sometimes they like for us just to to speak with uh, with others or even other vendors about cybersecurity, understanding what's going on. Um, views on where where threats are trending, how we can assist, um, and so it's it's a pretty wide variance of work that we do to support the business. I, I want to see Marsh win, right? That's the end game for me. <laughs> and so, if a client account team needs kind of the ground game help of we've got this contract and they want to know how good we are protecting their their data, or um, what can we help them? them learn or glean or find solutions 
And so, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here to, to help the team win, no matter what that means. And so we, we get involved in pretty wide disparity. But yeah, the, the day job, protecting our people, protecting our, our assets, protecting our clients' assets that we have stewardship for. Um, but at the same time, uh, what can we do to, to win and, and show people that we're the, we're the best option uh, that they have in terms of uh, those services? Well, that's great to hear. And it's, you know, you're supporting the business in obviously multiple facets. And it's nice to see, you know, discussions that you're having also with clients uh, of yours as well. I think that type of collaboration at times is, is, is extremely needed. So it's, it's really great to hear that. You know, one of the things on the topic of cyber insurance that's been interesting to see, Dan, is there's this perception out there that, you know, the, the brokerages are, the insurance brokerages are increasing, obviously, the costs um, uh, for, you know, the, the, coverage the organizations are getting. Um, they're really looking at saying, okay, you know, we're not going to cover you as much because, you know, they're taking a hit from a business perspective. And, you know, yet again, they're, they're, they're driving those costs and requirements, by the way, up on the client side. So just mm-hmm. kind of what's your take? What are you seeing out there in that space? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that you're, to your point, we're learning what does a a good target for a hacker look like. And, and I think, you know, for those of us who've been in the security game for a while, we, we know this um, just through experience, right? That well, things we've seen, but in terms of assessing organizations, there's some big glaring things now. Um, if you're not, if you don't have MFA, um, you know, on your external portals, I explained to someone and I'm sure I have friends or family members. I, I watched a family member do this the other day. Walked out of her apartment, locked the door, and threw the key under the, the mat. And, um, and if you don't have MFA, that's what your external portals are. You threw the key under the mat, and somebody who wants to get in, they're going to figure out a password. They're going to find a, a password to someone's account in that portal. They can brute And if force they're it. really good. Yeah. yeah. And if they're good, once they get there, even if you think that portal goes nowhere, well, the IT team has utilities they run. There, there are scripts they need. There are management services they, they use. And a good bad guy is going to find those things. They're going to decompile some stuff. They're going to find another set of credentials. Um, and they're going to find, you know, get, get off, that, off that server to somewhere else. So even though you may think, oh, well, that's a portal to this place with no important stuff. Well, it's part of a bigger management framework that's used. And so that's, that's a key one. And then other, other things, you know, um, how are you doing for managing vulnerabilities? That's still a ground game thing and really hard uh, to, to keep track of for organizations. And then um, just workforce training and awareness, uh, phishing attacks. Phishing attacks are still the hacker's favorite weak spot. Instead of trying to beat you at one point of attack against your controls head on, they can spray a phishing attack across hundreds or thousands of members of your workforce. And statistically, we know, um, and you know, if you've been doing phishing campaigns, your organization, which percentage is going to click. Yeah. And, uh, and then you've got to decide um, how that works. But that's where you come back to MFA. You assume 
someone's going to give up their password. The, the bad guy's going to find the key under the mat. And, uh, and so that's what the second factor is for, is uh, protecting that. But that's what we're learning in the insurance side is how to tell who's going to have a, a bad time, who's, a, who's, a, who's going to struggle, um, and, uh, and kind of vet those, throw those out and let them know, um, hey, if you want to be, um, one, just doing, doing the right thing, protecting your organization, um, and then doing things right. If you want to have insurance coverage, if you want to have regulatory coverage um, or assurance, contractual assurance, reputational assurance, um, there's a lot of good reasons you should do some of these things that are, are really sharp uh, consulting and risk management advisory teams recommend. So, so Dan, I, I, I've never worked for an insurance company and I have to say I have a very high level understanding of how they work. But my high level view is that, you know, they have um, historic data sets that actuaries use to help make those kind of risk-based decisions on whether or not to provide coverage or whether or mm-hmm. not uh, the, the, the cost of that coverage, if they want to provide it, the policies, et cetera. It sounds like from what you're saying in the cybersecurity domain, we're, we're building some of that data. We're mm-hmm. actually, you know, now creating that historic data sets that allow you to make those risk-based decisions and there's been enough runway and experience that you're starting to say, these are the kind of controls that you definitely need to have uh, to be insurable and or mm-hmm. your rates are going to go up if you don't have it. Um, you know, so are those someone you mentioned MFA? I mean, yeah. any other controls well, that are must-haves? Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's a great question. To your point about the, the runway, we have a lot, there's a lot of great tools out there now. Uh, they kind of fall in the category of you know, third-party risk or uh, attack surface management. And these companies will go pull historical security breach information, you know, public information, open source uh, information. And, and I'm sure you know, we, we can now curate, well, what happened? How did it happen? Uh, was it ransomware? How'd the ransomware get in? So that's one historical point. But at the same time, when you're vetting or being vetted, you may be asked, um, you know, are you doing, what kind of endpoint solutions are you using? Is it, uh, is it advanced, kind of the category of advanced solutions? Or are we talking old school AV on the desktop? And, and so over time, I think, we are going to get much smarter and be able to develop and curate information to say, you know what, it looks like over the past three years, all of our clients who, who followed our guidance and used these kinds of solutions, none of them had a, an incident. Um, where of all those that, that didn't, X percentage did have, have an incident. So we are trying to profile a little bit of that, that information and say, which controls and um, did they have you know, more, more advanced protections on? Because that's a thing, there's always a somewhat of an argument, right? Well, if I only got so much money to spend, should I, should I spend on A or should I spend on B? And I think that's what we're going to try to help them figure out is based on your circumstance, the kind of organization you are, the threats that tend to come your way, we would recommend you know, one or the other based on that. So Dan, I, I think... One of the things you said there that I'm wondering if it's changing as far as the self-attestation or self-assessment versus an, a more in-depth kind of review of that potentially is doing some discovery of the controls yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that change? Or are you still doing questionnaires and letting them complete them and say, yes, I have this, but they may or may not. You know, it, it is tough to get that level of validation, especially when you have many, many to assess. I think across the board, everyone is still basically doing the self, uh, the self, you know, where we're asking the question, they're filling out the survey. And then sometimes there's a follow-up. Now, here's the hazard, right? If you don't tell the truth to your insurance company, no matter what it is, if it's car insurance or anything else, um, if you if you violate certain bounds that are written into the contract, you know, you you you're not going to be covered anyway. So uh, you know, I guess. I mean, driving, driving is a little bit different where they can look at your history and there's maybe so much that you can you be uh, untruthful about. But still, if you haven't gotten your safety inspection, if you, you know, are driving uh, impaired, something like that, there's a lot of things you can do that invalidate that. And in the cybersecurity game is not going to be any different. You know, if you if you are if anyone's being untruthful, they only get long, get away with it as long as they don't crash. Um, or suffer some kind of an event, but it's hard to to validate firsthand every single opportunity. And even with us, when someone's like, "Well, I want to, I want to do this or do that," wow, okay, well, um, I need to, I need to hire somebody to come in and facilitate that kind of engagement. And it's a, it's a two way street, right? It, it cuts both ways. If you want to dig that deep, you've got to ask yourself, "Do I want to hire someone?" What do we learn, or do I try to create a contractual instrument that that holds someone accountable for not living up to their word? Um, I think we're still in that phase uh, of things. That's my my impression right now. Yeah, I, I think I think you're accurate. Right? It still is very early on. Kind of back mm-hmm. to the initial point of you know there is so much historical data for other facets of the insurance business. So this is still a bit of an immature area. Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the things Dan, I'd love to get your take on. Um, that came out last year, actually, towards the end of last year, was from Lloyd's of London and uh, an announcement that they actually made, which was centered on the, the definition of cyber war, okay, and as it impacts their clients specifically, right? Now, when you think about this, right, they're basically saying that they're no longer going to you know, cover losses resulting from quote unquote cyber war. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they define it as cyber operations carried out by a nation state, in essence. Okay, mm-hmm. fine, got it. You know, and it has keywords, has a major detrimental impact on the functioning of the state, quote unquote. So yeah, that's open to interpretation, right? So yeah. pretty gray areas. My question to you is kind of like, what do you see in that area? What, what's some of the transition? Have that has that come up as a topic of conversation in any of the discussions yeah. you've been having? Well, it, it certainly does. And this is this weighs on the mind of our our risk advisors and our folks will figure out this coverage. And, you know, I was, I was actually thinking about this and, and sorting some of the, the topics, but along with war, there's just all kinds of variables around software and things like that. But we, we had this thread going the other day about what happens when you're attacked by a nation state or suffer a catastrophic outage due to that. And there, in, in terms of just United States, we don't have a cyber FEMA. You know, so so when uh, insurance companies that cover flood or, or or earthquakes, you know, there's a certain point if the event is bad enough, they're in a way kind of rooting for the federal government to declare a disaster yeah. because what happens? Yeah. Um, and there there then then FEMA covers certain things. There isn't a cyber FEMA, 
um, that yeah, there's no, right? there's no cap. There's no cap yes, provided that, or coverage. Exactly. There's no cyber FEMA, and so if um, and then that's the hard thing we talk about is the cyber war exclusion language. I think that's going to become a thing. I don't know to what length or how we decide who who it applies to, or do you just have to say it applies to everyone? Um, but it's going to become a, a challenge and uh, great a great topic. If you ever get a chance to talk some, to some of our advisory people, I bet you know them how they dig into these things. They could probably opine on this uh, for an hour um, I'm sure. I'm sure. about all of those things and those opportunities. So. Well, Dan, I think one of the things that's happened in the last, what, five years is that there's general recognition that cyber insurance is a, a, a risk mitigation strategy recognized by executives now, right? Mm-hmm. But there are differences in what's being offered, I think, and how you're determining an, a large enterprise versus a small business, both would benefit having that as a risk management, risk mitigation approach. How how does a you know how does Marsh and others handle the distinction and the differences between those two kind of entities as far as the size and what they need? So uh, would this be on the advising them how to approach things? Right, right. You know, it's uh, th- that's a great question. I think what it comes down to is at the end of the day that business impact. Um, of the of our services of our data if if there's a and you kind of this is where you can kind of blend the business impact along with the the cia triad right confidentiality integrity availability if one of those three factors are exploited in a significant way um, against a given service or data what what does it mean business impact wise are we on the news tonight did we did we violate a law did we, did we violate contractual um, obligations, uh, reputational harm, and all those things that there are different countermeasures an organization may be willing to take. And that's the hard thing to, to explain where they have to do a lot of thinking. But that's kind of that, I think the, the model is the same regardless of size, but the scale and in which they choose to address a particular threat um, and, you know, like, you know, here's a kind of cherry picking uh, topic, PCI, right? So, um, honestly, it's about confidentiality, right? Um, if my system goes down hard and no one can get, no one can process payments, um, I'm still PCI compliant. I didn't lose any credit card data, right? My customers might be mad because they can't pay for things and it's business impacting. But those, but I think that's the kind of, Examples you have to unpack with people on that business impact is how far do we go? You know, my, my web portal as a denial of service vulnerability, my payment portal. Well, what happens when it's exploited? Well, it just goes down hard. Okay, well, do you want to patch it or not? You know what I mean? So as, as a CISO, you may say that you're like, I'm, I'm comfortable signing off on that for PCI. You know, you might get CISO that does that because, hey, they can't get to the data. But the, the person in charge of revenue, the CFO may say, well, you know, I think I'd like to patch that anyway, because business is better if we provide that. That's the problem, I think, or the gap is that I think, to your point, every executive now cares about this. And no matter what size of business, I think the problem is they don't have enough people to help unpack those nuances 
of that impact. You know, what does it mean? Well, I'm still PCI compliant, which is what the CISO cares about, but the CFO cares about making money. Well, I do want to patch the vulnerability, you know, that denial of service vulnerability so I can keep making money. And, and that's the gap in all these organizations. And that's the hardest thing for insurance brokerages to figure out in an organization. Um, you, can, you can talk to people um, and, and what's, you know, two or, two or three times, you know, before I worked for Marsh, I was a Marsh client, right? And, and um, I had to do these calls with insurance uh, carriers. And sometimes there were 10, 15 carriers on the phone. And I had to do like a 60 slide presentation in 45 minutes, right? So I'm, I, I obviously sent it ahead of time for people to read it, but then boom, 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 I'm going through all this. But that, that's the hard nuances. Partially they're judging me, but in that control s- structure and determining impact, that's what the gap is. I think a lot of businesses underestimate what it means. That's why that PCI example is so easy to reference is there's, there's security impact and compliance impact, but then there's business impact. Um, and, and not always everybody's on the same page um, when, it, when it comes to that. You're drawing a great perspective into the, that kind of weighing of you know, the, the operational risk versus the cyber risk. There's a crossover in certain areas, and there's still kind of those areas of gaps that people can kind of try to interpret it different ways. And that's, that's part of this you know, conversation that's been happening evolution of you know, really understanding what's the business looking for? What is the business impact that you're talking about? And then what are my responsibilities to drive better cybersecurity capabilities back into what we need, right? What everybody needs. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on today. We really had a great conversation. I think your analogy, you know, from an MFA perspective, keeping it really simple, it's leaving the key under doormat. Very good analogy you drew out there. I think it just kind of paints that picture of, you got to think differently, right? The attackers are always going to be outstepping people how can we change it up? That's a very simple one to think about. So thanks for sharing your experiences, your perspective also on what we're doing now at Cyber Insurance, some of where it's going as well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you all. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.